Thank you for being flexible, worship team. I, I confused Russ there for a moment because there was a scripture reading I was going to do that I forgot about and just sat down. So he adjusted on the fly very quickly. I'm thankful for that. Uh, I just want to briefly and quickly introduce Sean LePage to you. Uh, over a year ago, a search team formed uh, to find a church plant pastor, uh, somebody who would come a- and help us to plant a church sometime, hopefully and prayerfully, in about two years' time. So in some ways, uh, should Sean be hired here, this would begin the process for us of praying and thinking about planting a church. Uh, and that is what we're praying towards. So Sean's going to come, and he's going to uh, encourage us through the Word. I invite him up now. And, and these types of sermons, uh, uh, I've been in his shoes before. These are awkward sermons because you're preaching, at the same time you're also kind of auditioning. So uh, we'll just get through that awkwardness. I know I encourage you, Sean. Just encourage us through Scripture, and I'm excited to hear your love for the Lord, His Word, and His Church through First Thessalonians. So thank you. Okay, I am failing on so many levels. This is all my fault. The, the, the service going off the rails because of me exclusively. Children, <laughs> you are dismissed for children's church. Age three to kindergarten, those kids who are heading back to children's church, feel free to head back now <laughs> and join my wife who's on top of things in the back and flag me down. So this is how we roll around here. Yeah, you just have to get used yeah, to it. yeah, I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this church. I mean... Uh, a worship leader leading worship with one hand tied behind his back, you know, and shindigs and uh, twisting and turning. And this is an amazing church. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. And, and as Aaron uh, alluded to, the awkwardness, is that the word you used, of, of candidating? I hope we can just put that aside for... A bit, and just open the Word of God together, and just uh, just a, uh, thank you for the privilege of letting me share with you what uh, what God's teaching me. I also do thank you for the possibility of this opportunity to uh, invite my family to join with your family and and serve uh, alongside one another. Uh, I also want to say that whether it's me or someone else, uh, you are to be commended as a church. For, uh, for, for taking this intentional step of faith in pursuing multiplication or church planting. Uh, it may come with uncertainty and, and uh, perhaps some anxiety, uh, some difficulty, but I'm confident that God will be glorified through this step of faith. Let, let me pray now. Father, we thank you so much for just the wisdom you have shown in bringing your children together as a family called the church. Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, people of all different uh, nationalities and ethnicities, people of different genders, people of different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. Father, we thank you for the great wisdom of the church, and we pray that each one of us, and I pray specifically for Community Bible Church this morning, that you would be glorified, that your, your, your name would be exalted, not only through the preached word, but also through the, 
relationships and through the ministry and the service provided in this community by this church. And I do pray that you would be glorified in this message and that, that uh, if I say anything that is not in accordance with your will, that it would soon be forgotten. But that which is in accordance with your word and your will, I pray that it would, it would linger and it would cause us all to continue to meditate on your word for many hours and days and weeks to come. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his best-selling book, Live Not By Lies, Rod Dreher attempts to explain for us how our world, our culture, has become so confused in the past few decades. And uh, this is a quote from his book. He says, In 2005, the sociologists of religion, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton, coined the phrase moralistic, therapeutic deism to describe the decadent form that Christianity had taken in contemporary America. It consisted of the general belief that God exists and wants nothing more from us than to be nice and to be happy. And, you know, if you don't know what's wrong with that, then I encourage you to make an appointment with uh, Aaron and, uh, and visit with him about that. But in therapeutic culture, which has everywhere triumphed, the great sin is to stand in the way of the freedom of others to find happiness as they wish. He says, this is why so many conservative Christians did not see and still cannot explain the ongoing victories of transgenderism in the culture war. The transgender phenomenon which requires affirming psychology over biological reality is a logical culmination of a process that started centuries earlier. Christian resistance on a large scale to the anti-culture has been fruitless, he says, and is likely to be fruitless for the foreseeable future. There's a lot in that quote, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good book, really worth your time. But I want to focus on that last statement. He said, Christian resistance on a large scale to the anti-culture, the the, uh, the changes that we've seen in our culture, has been fruitless and is likely to be fruitless for the foreseeable future. It seems to me that Dreer is telling us that it's time to give up. We've lost. Quit. Is that true? Is that what we should do? We should give up? We should maybe uh, buy a compound in Montana and uh, you know let the world go to... Gehenna in a handbasket? Is that what we need to do? Well, my favorite line from the entire Lord of the Rings and Hobbit uh, series, movie series, comes at a point when Frodo is uh, lamenting the situation he found himself in. Um, apparently, too much for a little hobbit to bear. And he said, and actually, my son Elijah has this memorized, and I asked him if he would come up and, and share it with us, but uh, he, he didn't want to do that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> he, 
He's, uh, Frodo says, I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf responded, maybe some of you know this quote as well, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for you to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given you. So whether that was written by Tolkien or Jackson or someone else, it is profoundly true. And for me, it brings to mind something the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians to the, first, to the Thessalonian church. So both Paul and the Thessalonian church were going through what's described here as afflictions and actual persecution. And so they had a decision to make. No doubt they wished that none of it ever happened. But they had a decision to make. So would you turn with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. This has been a verse that I've often come to. I often think about this verse. And I find it to be inspirational. I find that it's a helpful verse to come to when I feel like quitting, giving up. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Excel still more. Now, um, let me say, accountants, please just relax. This, is not, um, this has nothing to do with the Microsoft program, Excel. Um, most modern translations actually translate this more like, uh, do so more and more, or abound more and more. And uh, so what, what does that mean? What does that mean to excel still more Exactly. Well, we're going to come back to that question, the key question, but I, I want to start with the why, and I highly recommend this as a, as a practice. When you come across a, a command, an imperative in Scripture that is difficult, or as we find in 1 Thessalonians, a multitude of commands that are actually difficult to live out, I encourage you to look for the why. Why do this? Why attempt to do this hard thing? Well, let me start with that question. Why should we excel still more? So in the context of 1 Thessalonians, I find at least two really big, uh, important reasons why. First of all, reason number one is gratitude, because Christ is worthy. Uh, Turn with me to chapter one of 1 Thessalonians, and, and just looking at the context here, Paul reviewed for this church what God had done for the Thessalonians and, and really all believers. So 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 4, he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. So he's saying God loves us and he chose us. So that's the first, uh, the first reason uh, for which we should be grateful. But look at verse 5. 
He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So he's saying here that the Holy Spirit sent Paul to proclaim the gospel to them and then convicted them of their sin and showed them their need to believe the gospel. Look at verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So the, the Holy Spirit gave them joy in the midst of their tribulation. That's something for which... Uh, we can be grateful. Uh, One more, verse 10. uh, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So God raised Jesus from the dead so that he could rescue us from the wrath to come. and, and, And I could go on throughout this entire book and list multiple, multiple reasons why we should be grateful. And I think that service of God that comes from a grateful heart is, is the purest service of all. But look at a second reason here, and that is hope. Christ is coming again. In fact, every chapter in this letter ends with a reminder that Jesus is coming back. Look at uh, ch- chapter 1, again, verse 10, we just looked at. It starts out with, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Now look at the end of chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Look at the end of chapter 3. Uh, just the, 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 final, the final verse here, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4 ends with a lengthy section, what's commonly known as the key rapture passage. Uh, let me uh, look at verse 13 first of all. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Uh, Jump down to verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. That's where you get the the term rapture, by the way. The Latin for caught up is basically rapture. So this is a key rapture passage. I'll save that sermon for another time. Uh, But uh, those who, who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then chapter 5, look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we have here is the Apostle Paul reminding the church that God has a plan. This is the meta-narrative, the big story God's master plan. So hope comes from uh, knowing that God has a a plan to fix this sinful, uh, uh, painful, groaning, decaying world. Our hope comes not that God is is just going to make this life a little bit better, but that he's going to someday fix it entirely. 
So uh, his plan is that now, at this time, at this age, he is building his church. And someday Jesus is going to return and he's going to uh, remove our afflictions entirely. Uh, Does anyone find that to be a source of hope? So gratitude and hope are constantly held up in the scriptures as motivators for doing the hard things that God asks us to do. Which brings me to my second question, the, the key question here. How do we excel still more? Don't forget the whys, but let's go on to the how. Excel still more is actually defined in the immediate context of 1 Thessalonians 4.1. It's also defined further in the larger context of 1 Thessalonians and It's further defined in the context of the entire New Testament. I'm going to show you this uh, quickly. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, we excel still more by living to please God. By living to please God. So when I say excel still more by living to please God, I'm taking the view that walk and please, let me read the verse again here. Finally then, brethren, we, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, excel still more. Um, So I'm taking the view that walk and please is not two distinct things, but a unified activity. Kind of like when we say uh, that someone can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You ever heard that phrase? Ever heard somebody (laughs) accused of that? So really, you know, so we'll pick on Aaron again. Um, We know that Aaron can walk. And perhaps, I haven't personally, but but perhaps some of you have seen him chewing gum. I've seen him eating, so so, uh, I assume occasionally he chews gum. Well, the question is, can Aaron walk and chew gum at the same time? And that's the idea here. That's the same idea in in the Greek here, is the idea that uh, we're to be walking while pleasing God, living our lives as we please God. So the question is, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Can you walk, can you live this life and please God at the same time? That's the idea. Um, So note that how to walk and please God, that phrase, that that, uh, key idea uh, was received, how to do that was received by Paul. Finally, then, brethren, we we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received, and actually, uh, if you have a New American Standard like I do, you'll notice that the word instruction is in italics, which means that there is no Greek word here for instruction. It's literally, as you received from us how to walk and please God, Excel still more. The ESV actually reflects that in other translations. But uh, certainly, instruction is part of it. Um, so, um, this idea of excelling still more then is defined in the instruction of Paul. No doubt, instruction is part of it. But it's larger than that because he just says what you received from us. And he talks multiple times in this book alone about his example and the need to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So 
This is larger than just teaching, but it does, in fact, include teaching. The idea is that how to walk and please God was something that Paul had taught them uh, through his teaching as well as his example. So how do we do this exactly? How do we please God? The main answer here in verse 1 of chapter 4 is to go back to what you received from Paul what you received from the apostles, which is ultimately what Christ wanted us to to get as well. So how do we do it? We go back to what was received, the teaching and example of the apostles, which brings us to the larger context. We have to look and see what the larger context teaches us about how to walk and please God. Okay, so let's look at 1 Thessalonians. We excel still more by living out one another ministry. One another ministry. And I get this very clearly from chapters 4 and 5 here. Verse 1 introduces the final section of the letter, and in 4 and 5, he uses the, the, the Greek term aleleus four times. Aleleus is basically the, the term one another. And so he gives us Uh, just a a plethora of commands here in chapters 4 and 5, which are one another commands. So he's he's reviewing things he's already taught them, the things that they received from him. He's now teaching them in chapters 4 and 5 how to live out the one another's as a church. So, uh, for example, in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is the opposite of sexual immorality? Look at verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The opposite of sexual immorality is love. Love for one another. There are more than 40 of these kinds of commands, one another commands, alleluus in the New Testament, and the most common is Love one another. So, in other words, we please God by loving one another. Look at chapter 4, uh, verse 13, verses 13 through 18 again. Now, again, this is that passage that's uh, considered a key passage for the rapture, but look at, look at uh, um, how this begins, because apparently the Thessalonians were confused about what Paul had taught them about prophecy. Look at verse 13 again. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. King James says, ignorant. (laughs) We do do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So uh, they were confused. They were grieving excessively, perhaps, over the death of their loved ones. So Paul had a very practical reason here for bringing up prophecy. Look at, um, look at the verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's another, hallelujah, one another. He's, he's telling them that we, we excel still more. We please God by comforting one another, reminding each other of the hope that we have in Christ. And uh, at a funeral, we should comfort one another with the promise of God that that loved one is not lost forever. 
that loved one is not gone forever. We will be reunited. In chapter 5, look at, uh, I'm just going to read a, a good section of this. Chapter 5, uh, verse 4, starting in verse 4. But you, brethren, so, so he starts out talking about how um, the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's, he's continuing to clarify their understanding of prophecy. But he says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, here's that Ollie loose, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So encourage one another. The big idea here is to be alert and sober, to encourage one another, one another and build up one another, whether we're awake. Uh, that is not at all the same thing as being woke, just so you know. Uh, or, uh, he says, whether we're awake or asleep, that's literally alive or dead. Whether you're alive or dead, we will live together with him. Be, be encouraged by that. That should give us courage to, to face the struggles of this life. So, eternal life continues forever, and it begins today, it begins now. So we please God when we encourage one another. The, the, the rest of chapter 5 is, is just rich with multiple commands, something like 15 commands. Look at uh, verse 12 again. But we re- re- request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And here's the Alleluia. See that no one repays another with evil, but, uh, with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. You get, you get the picture here. So multiple commands. And what's happening here is he's, he's teaching us how to be the church, how to treat one another. It's, it's just rich with, with instruction here. This is what the church should look like. And so we please God when we seek good for one another. And so in the, the immediate context of of 1 Thessalonians, this is what it meant to excel still more. These one another passages, apparently the church wasn't doing them well. They weren't loving one another and, and comforting one another and encouraging one another and seeking good for one another as they should have been. And so he told them to excel still more. Um, so why though? Why is this so important? You know, because actually a lot of times churches get into this, this habit of making sure that there's, there's good teaching going on 
and we just kind of come and we, we listen to a sermon and we go home. And so why is this comfort one another stuff and, and strengthen, seek good for one another, uh, all these one another's, why is it so important? Because it strengthened the church. It made the church stronger. Good teaching is absolutely an important component, but it's not the only component of a strong church. Practicing these one another's is critical to having a strong church. Well, then why do we need a strong church? That leads us to the next context. In the New Testament, we, ex- we excel still more by living out the Great Commission. So the entire New Testament was written to strengthen churches, all of it. Right after Jesus gave the Great Commission, we have the book of Acts. Uh, the, the birth of the church. Do you want to know how to do the Great Commission? Read the book of Acts. And in the heart of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit chose and used the Apostle Paul to be the, the Apostle to the Gentiles, to lead the way in intentional fulfillment of the Great Commission. And what did he do? He planted churches... Then he strengthened them. He would either go to the church itself and, and be there and strengthen them, or he would send someone like Timothy or, or, or Titus or Epaphroditus or someone else, or he would write letters and send them to these churches. He was constantly trying to strengthen these churches. Then he would raise up more leaders, and then he would entrust the work to them at, in that locality like Thessalonica, and then he would go down the road and he would do it again. And again, and again. So look at how this all lies behind the entire letter of First Thessalonians. What do we have in chapter 1? Of course, we have in chapters 4 and 5, we have him telling the church how they needed to practice the one another's in order to, to get stronger. But in chapter 1, uh, look at verses 5 through 7 again. Chapter 1 of First Thessalonians, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and and Achaia. So what we have here is uh, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, he brought the gospel to Thessalonica. We read about that in Acts chapter 17. And, uh, and some people believed and some people didn't. But he gathered together those who, who believed and he planted a church. And he says here, they became imitators of him, of us, of, of the apostles, and of those who were leading the way in the Great Commission. They became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. And then, verse 7, he says, they became an example to other churches. This is Great Commission work. So, so, so step one here is that Paul proclaimed the gospel and then he planted a church in a place where there was no gospel presence. What do we have in chapters 2 and 3? Well, he he continues to review what he did amongst them. 
And that, that's not just like for historical record. He's teaching them what they should do as they imitate him. So look at chapter 2. He, uh, he, he, first of all, look at verses 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, that's Acts 16, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. They were beaten up in Philippi for sharing the gospel, imprisoned, and they, and, and, I mean, look, what would you do after you got beaten up and imprisoned? You'd probably go uh, to Glorietta or something, right? You'd probably go, go take a break. It's not what Paul did. This is very challenging to me. He got up and he walked down the road to Thessalonica. And he shared the gospel there too and stirred things up there as well. So, uh, but, but that's the first step. He, he proclaimed the gospel and he planted a church. And then uh, look at how he nurtured this church. He strengthened this church. Look at verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom. Why did he go in and nurture this church? So that they would walk in a manner worthy of, of, of the God who had called them into his kingdom. So that they would participate in the work that Paul was doing. So that they knew how to imitate him. Now that's, uh, that's step two. Step three is that Paul also raised up other leaders to continue the work that he himself was doing. So look at uh, the beginning of chapter three. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. So sometimes Paul went, sometimes he, he trained leaders to go in and do the same work Paul was doing, a younger man who could continue the work even after Paul was gone. And so uh, Paul raised up leaders to continue the work he was actually doing. Look at chapter 5. Verses 12 through 14. I know pastors love these verses, but, uh, but it, it shows us what Paul was doing. He, when he went into Thessalonica, he raised up leaders there for the local situation. He says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And then I think he addresses the leaders. He says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So he's, he's continuing to train the leaders in this local church. That's step three. Uh, so Paul could, could go and, and plant more churches in other places. He had leaders like Timothy who could go back. He had leaders that were always there laboring uh, in the church to, to serve the church. So what was Paul doing in Thessalonica? The Great Commission. He was just 
We have it here. We have a, we have a model. We have a, an explanation of how Paul pulled off the Great Commission. He was planting churches. He was strengthening them. He was raising up leaders so that the church could multiply everywhere. So excelling still more is continuing this work. It's all a part of that greater work of participating in the building of Christ's church. Why do all this messy one another stuff that he talks about in chapters 4 and 5? Well, because the churches need to be strong. Only strong churches can multiply and and expand and participate in the work uh, that we see uh, in the book of Acts. So, I don't want this to sound self-serving. It's not intended that way. But let me suggest that it is excelling still more for CBC to hire a plant pastor to pursue church planting. I just simply see it as excelling still more. Whether I'm a part of it or not, CBC is, in my opinion, excelling still more. It is continuing the work of Jesus in building his church when he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and gave birth to the church. It's continuing the work of the apostles as they planted, strengthened, and multiplied churches throughout the Roman Empire. It is continuing the work of Paul, modeled here for us in Thessalonica. It is continuing the work of the church throughout church history expanding and multiplying into the remotest parts of the earth. Places like Olathe, Kansas. It is continuing the work of the Anabaptists and the Mennonite brethren as they spread throughout Europe and Russia and the New World, now with churches in dozens of countries around the world. Will it come with afflictions? Almost certainly. In this day and age, almost certainly, excelling still more, abounding more and more, requires more. More time, more energy, more commitment, more sacrifice, more conflict. Yes, CBC is already doing well. CBC is already uh, walking and pleasing God. But I believe that if the Apostle Paul could be with us this morning... And he could be up here instead of me. I believe, brothers and sisters, that he would say to you, well done, CBC. You're doing great. Can you guess? Excel still more. Step out in faith. We have hope And because we can give others hope, excel still more. Step out in faith and participate even more in what God is doing in this age. Jesus is coming back. Excel still more. And this brings me to my third and final question. Will we? (laughs) Will we excel still more? Look again at at 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Again, he says, Finally then, brethren, we request... And exhort you in the Lord Jesus. 
that you excel still more. It's a request. The ESV actually translates this much better. It says, we ask and urge you. This is a request. He's, he's not demanding it. So to excel still more is a choice that requires a personal and corporate response. There are personal ways for each one of us for defining what it means for us to walk and please God and then to excel still more. But there are also corporate decisions that must be made about how to walk and please God and how to excel still more. Selling still more, living to please God, walking in a manner worthy of God is a matter of our free will. It is not automatic. As though sanctification is involuntary. Sanctification requires cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So, to excel still more is a choice to walk in a manner worthy of and to please the God who has called us to participate in the work that he is doing in this church age as people of light in preparation for the return of Christ. Let me close with another quote from Rod Dreher. I don't agree with all of his uh, suggestions and conclusions in Live Not By Lies, but it would be unfair to conclude where I did at the beginning, that his message is to give up. In the conclusion of the book, he writes... Think about what you see. Get together with others to talk about what you are all seeing. Analyze the facts and discern how your faith and your moral convictions should be applied concretely to your situation. Then act. (laughs) While there is still time, he says. As C.S. Lewis put it, the world is enemy-occupied territory for the Christian. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say, landed in disguise, Lewis said, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. So, um, like Frodo, all you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given you. Uh, Even better, like the Thessalonian church, We all, you and I, have to decide whether we will live and please God and then excel still more, even when it's hard, walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. Would you please stand with me, and I'm going to close with the benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5 as my closing prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.